Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Pastor Lindsay. Um, you know, when I was in high school, one of my favorite classes was horticulture. Um, I didn't know if I would even like the class when I signed up, but it turned out to be so great. And I think that one of the things that I just loved the most about that class was that my teacher would have us walk all around campus and we would identify trees and bushes and flowers that were planted all over the school. So we weren't just looking at like pictures in a book, you know, it was, it was hands-on. We were immersed in the environment and we were touching the leaves and the bark and smelling the flowers and seeing the plants as they grew up out of the ground. And there was something that was really powerful to me in that class about connecting to what I was learning in a different way. Um, and it just, it turned out to be just a great class. You know, today we are finishing our sermon series that's called Turning Pages. And so we have been looking at different books. We've looked at novels and at children's books, at biblical books. And we've been paying attention to how literature, both biblical literature or secular literature, um, about just how stories are all are about the human condition. And so we've been looking at these stories and considering how they shape us. And we've been watching for grace in the characters and in their decisions and considering the stories in relationship to the gospel and asking how can we apply lessons from these stories to our lives. Well, today is our last Sunday in this sermon series, and the book that I have chosen for this week is called The Hate You Give. Um, it's by Angie Thomas, and this is actually um, a young adult novel, and it's written from the perspective of a 16-year-old Black girl in America. Um, it's a fiction story, and so the characters and the story are made up. Um, but it is talking about topics that are very much real life and in the news right now. So this book is told in the voice of 16-year-old Star, who is the main character. And she tells the story of her best friend Khalil, who is a black teenage boy, um, being shot and killed by a police officer during a traffic stop while she was in the passenger seat. And so the book tells about her life as she processes all of this. And one of the things that we see Star do is navigate these two worlds. We read about kind of the white world of her private school that's mostly attended by white kids and her white boyfriend. And then the black world of the inner city neighborhood where she lives and where her job is. Um, and so we see her navigate these really complicated issues and process how people in the two worlds are seeing the shooting of Khalil really differently. Um, I chose this book several weeks ago for this sermon series, and I did not know at the time that this week we would see another black man, Jacob Blake, shot in the back by a police officer which sparked more protests against racial injustice this week. Um, people marching in the streets and basketball games not being played. You know, back when we were planning this sermon series, one of the things that we talked about was that we wanted to pay attention to current events and real life stuff. And so we were talking about kids going back to school and the pandemic and um, illnesses, things that we know people are wrestling with in our actual lives. And I don't think at the time that we realized just how significant the timing of this series would be. Um, I think we've known, of course, for a long time that following Jesus was never meant to be just 
like a list of ideas, something that you believed in. Our faith, it's meant to be practical and it's meant to be lived out. And so what we want to do is we want to think about our faith and how to integrate that into what's happening in the world around us. And so today, as we are together thinking, I want us to imagine um, even beyond our own families or our children's or our, our own church and just really consider the question, how do we participate in a story that's bigger than our own? How do we engage with topics and with issues that really go beyond our own personal experiences. And so to help us answer this question and think through that, I want us um, to look at this book as an example. And I also want us to look at the life of Jesus. And actually, that's where I want to start. I want to start by talking about the life of Jesus. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Bible um, is written in a lot of different formats, right? There are um, letters and poetry, um, there's lists, but actually narrative or story is the biggest chunk that there is. About 40% of the Bible is written in story form. And when we look at the teachings of Jesus in the Gospels, most of Jesus's teaching is done through stories. So Jesus very frequently invited his listeners to think about other people and their lives and to reflect on what it looks like for the kingdom of God to show up in stories. And, and some of the stories he told were true stories and some were made up parables. But something that was interesting about the way that Jesus taught is that often when he told these stories, he tied it to an actual physical action that he was doing. Like, for example, in Mark 2, Jesus was walking through a grain, a field of grain with his disciples, and it was the Sabbath day. And they started picking heads of grain, which was forbidden on the Sabbath. And Jesus told them a story. He told them about King David um, eating consecrated bread from the temple. And while he was doing that, he was teaching them about the Sabbath. Um, that story in particular reminds me a little bit of my horticulture class, walking through the plants. Um, but it also, just this reality makes me think of teachers today. Well, maybe not today, because there's a pandemic, and so most of our kids are at home learning. But it makes me think about when our kids are in school, and there's not a pandemic, and when teachers take students on field trips. And what happens is they invite them out of their usual places and patterns and ways of thinking to go to where they can encounter some like ideas or situations or peoples that are, people that are different than they normally would. And so in a way, that's what Jesus was doing, right? The disciples weren't just learning about God's kingdom in a synagogue. They were learning about it in a grain field. So Jesus very often combined his teachings to actions that he lived out right in front of them. And if you, you watch for this while you're reading the Gospels, you'll see that he did it a lot. One of the actions that Jesus consistently did and that he tied to his teachings was crossing social boundaries. So one of the ways that Jesus crossed social boundaries was a way that we talk about kind of a lot in churches. We somewhat frequently mention how Jesus would eat a meal with basically anybody, right? So even though it wasn't typical in that time period, Jesus would just as easily have dinner with his friends and have dinner with someone who um, was really discredited in society and didn't have social standing. He just was rejecting the notion that he couldn't be a friend to anyone. So he was crossing social boundaries in that way. 
Um, another way that Jesus crossed social boundaries was by physically going to different places. Um, Judy Wu Dominic is a writer and a speaker, and she recently wrote about this and brought my attention again to the long distances that Jesus sometimes, sometimes traveled to do this. Um, Jesus regularly took his disciples like out of their home turf, like away from their familiar territory to interact with people and to go to places where, where people were different than they were. And so to highlight this about what Jesus did, I actually want to show you a map of Israel um, during the time of Jesus. Because if you're like me, um, even though the stories in the Gospels often name where they're happening, I sometimes gloss over that part a little bit. Even though I had an amazing Bible teacher in seminary, um, Dr. Laniak would sometimes just like quiz us on the spot. We would be reading something like, Jesus went to Capernaum and he'd, he'd say, stop, which way would Jesus have been walking to get there from where he was, right? And I would like freeze and like try and pull up a map in my mind and think, right? But, but today, I really, I want us to pay attention to this today because this is important. And so I want, I want you to look at this map. And I have this map um, of Israel. I think I have this map of Israel. There it is. Okay, and so I want, I want us um, to look at this map together. So what you're looking at right now is a satellite map, and this is actually a recent image that is um, of part of Israel, and this is a satellite image that NASA did. And um, so I wanted to show it to you guys because I want you to sort of get your bearings, okay? And so I wanted to be here up super close um, to the map so that I can point some things out to you on this image and a couple other images that I want to show you. Um, and I feel a little bit like a meteorologist or something, so that's kind of fun. Um, but really, like, I think it's important if we're thinking about Jesus crossing social boundaries and we're talking about one of the ways that he did that was physically going outside of places that were familiar to him and to the disciples, you know, moving outside of their home turf in order to encounter different people who had different stories and different lifestyles and different religions. And so, um, you know, thinking, what did that look like? Where was that can sometimes be really helpful. Um, okay, so getting our bearings, this right here is the Sea of Galilee, and this is the Dead Sea, and the Jordan River goes between them. So that'll help, I think, on the drawn map that I show you. Okay, so this is a drawn map of um, the of Palestine during the time of Jesus. Okay, so getting our bearings again with the um, bodies of water, you have the Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea, and the Jordan River that goes between them. So when you think about where would have been familiar territory for Jesus and the Jewish people, um, right over here is Jerusalem, and so that is in Judea, and um, Jerusalem is where the temple was, and so this would have been an area where Jewish people would have lived and worked and worshipped. Um, and up here, this purple area is Galilee, and so Galilee is where Jesus lived during his ministry. And so again, this is an area that um, the Jewish people would have lived and they would have worshipped and um, been there. The area between Galilee and Judea is Samaria. And so this is um, the area where the Samaritans were. And the Jewish people 
did not consider the Samaritans devout, and there were a lot of cultural clashes between the two. Um, this area to the northwest of Galilee, this green area, is the um, Phoenician area. It's sometimes called Tyre or um, the Syrian area. And, area. and this is a region that was known to be bitter enemies with Israel. And then all to the east of the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River, this area is non-Jewish as well. Um, this green part is the Decapolis um, it's an, a region of 10 cities, again, non-Jewish. This is uh, The Decapolis is mentioned in scripture, um, so you may recognize it. So um, when we think about where Jesus and his disciples primarily were, when we read the stories in the Gospels, most of that um, happens here in Galilee. So turning water into wine, the Sermon on the Mount, the feeding of the 5,000, um, all that stuff happens in Galilee. Um, and the disciples might have thought that all of Jesus's ministry would have taken place in Galilee or Judea, um, since wasn't he the Jewish Messiah? But actually, no, it, they, they moved beyond that area and, and those regions. Um, and so there are a lot of examples that we could point to in Scripture when um, Jesus and the disciples actually go outside and cross these social boundaries um, but where I want us to look today in particular is in Mark chapter 7, because it feels to me like in Mark chapter 7, this is a time when Jesus just like especially went out of his way um, to cross these social boundaries, um, like by a lot. Okay, so, well, let me, let me start by saying in Mark chapter 7, in the beginning of it, they were in Galilee. So they were right around here, just in the northwest part of the Sea of Galilee. And, and then in Mark chapter 7, verse 24, it says that, and from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Okay, so this is Jesus and the disciples. And they were leaving the region of Galilee and they were going up to the area of Tyre and Sidon. So here's Tyre and here's Sidon. And so that's in Phoenicia. Um, and that's where they went. And what happens there, if you read the story, is that Jesus casts out a demon from the daughter of a girl who asked, uh, of a woman who asked him to. And then immediately after that, in the same chapter, um, the next story starts Mark 7.31. And it says, And then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. Okay, so I just want us to look at this journey, you guys, because um, it's kind of crazy. So they were in Galilee, and they left this Jewish area, and they went up to the region of Tyre and Sidon, okay? But then they were returning to the Sea of Galilee, but they went through Sidon to get to the Sea of Galilee, and then they came down into the area of the Decapolis, and the Decapolis only touches the Sea of Galilee on the southeast corner, and so this is where they would have had to have ended up. Okay, so, I mean, just... If this was not even close to the most direct route that they could have taken. And, and really, like, by every standard, this was the long way. Okay, this was just like a roundabout journey that Jesus and his disciples were taking. And it was absolutely crossing social boundaries because this is the area where the people who were like them were. Okay, all of this area was filled with people whose lives and whose stories, whose backgrounds, whose religions, um, the, the food they ate, right? It was all different than what they would have experienced and anticipated in Galilee. 
And so Jesus is taking his disciples intentionally on this winding journey through areas where they would encounter people and places and stories that were different than they were. Um, you know, a, a few years ago, I was invited to go to um, a party with one of my friends. And um, when we got there, I mean, it was more a gathering than a party, but party sounds more fun. Um, and when we got there, there were a lot of people that we didn't know. And so when we, uh, when we walked through the door, she kind of leaned over to me and she said, all right, we got to find some PLUs. And I said, what's a PLU? And she said, people like us, we need to find some people to talk to. And I, I have just never forgotten that story. And I just have thought about how whether intentionally or unintentionally, we end up spending our lives surrounded by a lot of PLUs, just a lot of people like us. And, you know, people like us aren't bad. <laughs> um, but, but when we look at stories like this, we see that Jesus is like intentionally disrupting the idea of spending our lives entirely surrounded by people who are just like us. And so he is intentionally crossing these social boundaries and taking his disciples on purpose into these places where they would encounter people and stories and situations that were different than they were. When they were down here in this area, in the Decapolis, they actually spent three days there. Um, and that's where Jesus multiplied the fish and the loaves of bread and fed 4,000 people. Um, and, and so... You know, I was just thinking about the time that they were spending with people and what it would have been like for the disciples to, to spend this kind of intentional time with people who were different than they are. Um, you know, we're talking about crossing social boundaries and the way that Jesus did that. And so there are there are different ways that we can cross social boundaries. We were talking about Jesus crossing social boundaries and who he ate with and also in how he was navigating his journey. And, you know, one of the ways, well, there are many ways that we also can cross social boundaries, right? We can do that through friendships and through changing where we spend our time as well. Um, maybe the you know, the stores that we frequent or the areas of town that we go out to eat or, um, you know, just shifting so that we aren't always surrounded by people who are just like us. Um, and, but one of the other ways that we cross social boundaries is in literature, right? And in the stories that we actually read. And so as we are thinking about um, this book, The Hate You Give, I want you to keep this image in mind, right? This picture of, or this map of this roundabout journey that Jesus took his disciples on, where he was intentionally taking the long way so that they would be crossing social boundaries to encounter people um, who were not like them. I think it can be really helpful for us to keep this image in mind as we look at this story together. You know, as Jesus told stories, he lived out the lessons that he was um, teaching them about loving people. So Jesus's teaching was not just an intellectual exercise. You know, he followed it up with what he was doing and then encouraged them and, and wanted them to do the same. 
So when we consider this, you know, I think we have to acknowledge that crossing social boundaries is an important element of discipleship, right? This is significant in God's kingdom. And there are also real benefits when we do this. Um, one of the benefits is that crossing social boundaries allows us to develop compassion for people whose stories are really different than our own. Um, this book that we're talking about today, the, the Hate You Give, is great in part because even though it's fiction, it's telling a story that represents real people and communities behind the headlines. Um, it's actually, it's won a number of awards. Um, you can see the stickers on the front and everything. Uh, because it's brilliant, um, it's also gut-wrenching and it's emotionally captivating. And in a lot of ways, it's, it's a hard story to read. I'd also say that for some Christians, it might be particularly challenging uh, because it has characters who use really colorful language and there's drug use and there's some things in here that might make you clutch your pearls. <laughs> I mean, this is a story about thug life. That, that is literally where the title gets its name. The Hate You Give, T-H-U-G, right? Thug life is a term that actually comes from Tupac, who was a rapper um, in real life, not just in the fiction story. And there's a video that you could actually Google and watch today where Tupac talks about thug life and what it stands for, right? T-H-U-G-L-I-F-E, uh, which Tupac says stands for the hate you give little infants F's everybody. And in the video, Tupac explains what he means by that. And basically, he says that society shows Black people that they're hated from the time that they're infants. And that seed that's planted in these kids ultimately grows, and then it blows up and it impacts everyone. And so the book talks about that in the beginning of the story. And then Angie Thomas, who's the author, she, she writes to unpack what that means for Star and for the other characters, right? So I'm telling you, there's, there's profanity right from the start. And I just want to address this head on because sometimes, you know, we as Christians can get really caught up and feel really upset by language that people use or how they express their anger. And sometimes we get more outraged by that than we are about what's causing their anger. Sometimes we get more angry at someone's response than we are to the injustice or to the problem that people are trying to draw our attention to. And so right now, if you are feeling that, I just, I want to acknowledge it and to say that I think there's an invitation for us to consider why that is and to consider what it looked like when Jesus crossed social boundaries and, and what it actually looks like for us to cross social boundaries, right? And, and in the middle of the emotion of it, right, can we listen and try to understand a life experience that might be very different to our own? You know, reading a book like this book, it doesn't require that you agree with everything in it, but it can offer just a really helpful perspective. Um, Judy Wu Dominic, who I mentioned before, she recently posted on social media about police shootings. And um, I have a, a quote from her for, from what she said. She said, if you're like me 
and you've mostly lived in predominantly white, middle and upper class suburbs for your whole life. And you've only ever experienced the police as helpful, as a helpful protective entity, then you're missing some critical context for these conversations. You know, I think for those of us for whom that's true, reading books like this one can help give us context. And it can also help us um, to develop compassion, right? Because when you read The Hate You Give, you can identify with a girl who feels like she's just up against the whole world and who's witnessing this cycle of destruction around her and she's angry because she's considered suspicious because of her skin color. And there's just so much to think about in this story. There's this great cast of characters that really makes you think about all sides of these complicated issues, right? Star's black uncle is a police officer and he's married to a surgeon. And so Star's aunt and uncle live in the same gated community as her rich white boyfriend, right? Which is pretty far from Star's inner city poor neighborhood. I mean, th this book, it doesn't let you flatten the story to a soundbite. And I would say, like, especially if you are not Black, one of the benefits of reading books like this one is that it broadens your perspective. And, and it invites you to let your heart break with people who are hurting. When Jesus was in the Decapolis with his disciples, he said, I have compassion for these people. Getting into people's neighborhoods and hearing their stories, whether in fiction or in real life, right? And allowing your heart to be intertwined into their stories. It allows our hearts to connect with a story that is bigger than our own experience. So crossing social boundaries um, allows us to develop compassion for people. And another thing that it does is it enables us to see gaps in how things are in life and in how things should be. Um, one of the things that I have been convicted about in my own life is that there have been times that if something isn't a problem for me personally, that I haven't recognized it as a problem just generally. Um, a couple years ago, I was talking with a woman whose husband is in a wheelchair, and she was telling me about how difficult it can be for her to get around Charlotte because so many places are not handicap accessible. And I remember feeling surprised when she said that, because in my own experience driving around town, it seemed like there were handicapped parking places and ramps and stuff just all over the place. And I don't remember what I said to her, um, but I, I think maybe it didn't come across as very compassionate because even though she was very kind to me, what, what she ultimately said was, that it sounded to her like I had never had to push someone in a wheelchair everywhere that I went. And she was right. You know, if something isn't a problem for me personally, and if I haven't crossed social boundaries and engaged with people who experience life differently than I do, then there's a risk that I will just remain blind to problems that are really real. And I won't even be able to see the gaps that exist between how things are and how things ought to be. Because I think that there are things in life that we've made peace with and that we've accepted as just kind of the way things are that maybe we wouldn't have made peace with if it impacted us personally. 
But as we cross boundaries like Jesus did, right, I promise you, it'll change the way that we see situations. It'll change the way that we feel about injustice, right? Crossing boundaries, it allows us to grieve and to lament together um, as we identify these gaps in, in how we long for things to be and how things should be and in how they actually are. So when we, when we do this, not only do we get better at having compassion for people and, in, and seeing and recognizing gaps, but it also encourages us to action. Right? The, the truth is that we have an enemy that is working against us to destroy us. Right? That's what the Bible tells us as Christians. And so if the main thing that Jesus told us to do is to love one another, then we can be pretty confident that the plan of the enemy is going to be to try to get in the way of that. So we have an enemy who wants us to remain divided and who wants to use fear to silence us from talking about the things that are keeping us apart. But when we know each other's stories and when we see what it is that's impacting our friends, we can be moved to to use our voice and to use the gifts that God has given us to just insist on justice and to heal relationships and to see God's purposes among us, right, come to bear. Friends, we have a rich tradition of prophetic voices in the church. We have teachers and leaders who have stood up and reminded us about God's calling and his purpose for us. Um, From the Old Testament prophets, right, Amos and Isaiah, um, to more contemporary, right, Wesley and Martin Luther King Jr. And, you know, we get to follow in the footsteps of people who have done this well. People who have stepped across boundaries and entered into a story that is bigger than their own. So I don't know where you are in your own life right now, but I just want to invite you to consider this great adventure that Jesus is inviting all of us on. For each of us to follow him out of our own home turf and from people who are like us. Right? Follow him in learning from stories and, and engaging with stories of people whose lives are different than our own. And so maybe that's in a book and maybe that's in developing intentional friendships with people who look and believe and behave differently than we do. Right? It can take many forms, but crossing social boundaries is a part of discipleship. It is a part of the work of God's kingdom. And God is calling each of us to join him in this brave, hard, and steady work of crossing these boundaries so that we can join in a story that is bigger than our own. And we can love our neighbors with like this extravagant love, just like Jesus himself did. So may we all follow Jesus in crossing these social boundaries. Amen.